everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, this past summer, my wife and I uh, went to see Christopher Nolan's new film, Oppenheimer. It's a big, big film made like billions of dollars. It opened the same time as Barbie. So it was the Barbenheimer thing. It was this movie event that happened, this cultural movie event. And um, as I watched Oppenheimer, I was struck by what Nolan was trying to communicate. There's so many ideas and themes in there. But one of them is, I think Nolan is really interested in, well, among well, he's interested in time and the passage of time. He's interested in uh, all sorts of different ideas. But one of them is, I think he's interested in the idea of great men. Now, the great man theory was actually established in the 19th century by a historian named Thomas Carlyle, who put forth this idea, this theory, that history is nothing more than the collection of biographies belonging to great men. That there are certain men that rise to the top because of their genius, their brilliance, their importance, and they lead kind of civilization forward. By the way, emphasis is always on men. This does not. This is not a stand-in grammatically for humans. It means literally just men. And I think Nolan is examining that idea uh, of what uh, he's critiquing that idea. He's examining and playing with and asking us to consider what does it mean to be great in the film. I was struck by the just the brilliance of Oppenheimer and also his abject brokenness. I mean, the man can't even have a stable relationship with his wife. You know. Uh, it reminds me of a, a quote from Eugene Peterson in the midst of the space race where the U.S. is spending billions of dollars to get to the moon. He says, we have engineers who can do brilliant things like put men on the moon and they can't get along with their wives and children in their own house. Is that really success? I guess in all of this, the question that we're all like looking at and examining is what does it mean to be great? Even here in the Bay Area, there's all sorts of definitions of what does it mean to be great? Does great mean that you get stock options? Does great mean that you have a company that gets IPO'd and you make millions? Is that great? Is that what it means to be great? Can you have lots of money and not be great? Or conversely, can you have very little money and still be great? What does great mean? What is the impact? What does great mean? What does it mean to be great? We have so many people who are chasing this idea because we're Americans. And if there's one thing that is pounded in us again and again, is that if we are ever to be successful, we must have a persona and a life that is ratified and embraced by millions of people, that that's what it means to be successful. That's what it means to be great. Which means, of course, that the, the idea is greatness is not accessible to everyone. In fact, it's only accessible to a few minute humans who change the course of history. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus examines this idea. In fact, his disciples are asking, hey, Jesus, what does it mean to be great? Who's greatest in the kingdom of God? And Jesus actually responds in a way that is deeply unsettling and also incredibly comforting. We're going to examine that today. I've got Steve Clifford here in the studio. We're going to be looking at what Jesus says about what it means to be great. And his definition challenges us, challenges culture. And I think it challenges some deeply held assumptions that almost all of us have about what it means to be great. So we're going to dive right in. I've got Steve Clifford here. Let's just dive right in. Well, welcome to The Afterword here with Steve Clifford. Hello. Okay, so I'm so excited about this because the topic perfectly aligns with one of your great, I think one of your great strengths, which is Jesus talking about what it means to be great. Oh. And so 
Um, this is something I know that you've thought a lot about, and I know that you, you've taught a lot about, but I wanted to get into this because I think every person has this question. So there's this moment when the disciples come up to Jesus, and and it's it's hard to not to isolate this in the middle of the narrative, but right. so much has happened, like in the story. First, they have this, Jesus says like, hey, who do they say I am? Who do the people say I am? And then he asked them, who do you say I am? And yeah. there's this Messiah revelation that uh, Peter says, you're, you're the Messiah. And, and Jesus affirms that. But then he tells them, I'm going to die on a cross. And that doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah. And so in the middle of that, there's, there, there's this, and then there's the transfiguration, right. which is this, hey, listen, if you doubted what I said about the Messiah thing, I'm going to show, and not, and not everyone gets to see that. So Peter, James, and John get to see that, but the other disciples kind of don't. And they had to have talked about it. Peter, James, and John must have been out of their minds excited. And so then, I don't know why they asked the question, but they begin asking the question, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom? I don't know if they're asking that because they're saying, are Peter, James, and John, are they up there and we're well, not? Or And it's interesting because if you take the context of Mark 9, which parallels with this, oh, yes. they're arguing about it. Right. So they're, before they ever involve Jesus in this discussion, they're spending a lot of time. And Peter, James, and John, they got the trump card. Yeah. Hey, they, I mean, they got the trump card. They, it's it's pretty between pretty much between those three because hey, hey, we got we got to go up to the we mountain. We saw Moses, dude. Uh, yeah, we saw Elijah. Uh, we, uh, uh, we saw yeah, him. Yeah. Um, We're his favorites. Looks like the most amazing Mr. Clean he's ever been. Right, right. Glowing. So glowing, glowing, brilliant white lightning. Um, so so they're asking the question, but what I started thinking about this because these are all castoffs. All his disciples were from low status. They were fishermen. Um, tax collectors. Um, they had been rejected from the formal rabbinical training. They mm-hmm. they were not rabbis. They were not right. they were not considered rabbi material. That's why they were applying their parents' trade, their father's trade. There must have been a sense of man. We have we are with this rock star. They know who Jesus is, and there's rock star. I mean, there's thousands of people coming. This is a movement, right? And yeah. so so there's an excitement. If I was chosen, that must mean something. Like I'm with a rock star now. There's a sense of this. They also live in a high honor culture where like and every I think every human must live in some sort of sense of honor culture. The idea of like what does it mean to be mm. prestigious? I want the acclaim and the respect of my fellow citizens, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, I think you either live in the pursuit of honor or the avoidance of shame. Sure. One of those two. Sure. Uh, well, we'll get to that in a second, okay. but then, but cause there, there's so much interesting there. And then they basically are told actually, uh, so they're, they're asking this question. Like, are we like, what's going on? Who, who's great in the, in the, how do you measure greatness? Jesus. And so I, I just, I thought it was really interesting because they, they, it must, his answer must've been very difficult for them to stomach. Cause they must've been like, been like, Hey, listen, we've arrived. We're with Jesus, the rock star. Yeah. Like there's something good here. So, um, just kind of unpack the context around the question and then maybe how the disciples like might've responded or how we might respond. And then we'll get to what Jesus I think is trying to teach us today. Well, I, I think that, um, this is a passage that if you take it in isolation, I, I've, and I've heard it taught, um, where when he's, Hey, who's the greatest? And he says, come here. He calls a child over, yeah. which is interesting. That means children are probably normally in the presence the 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 throng of people yeah 
that are following Christ as he travels. Includes children. Includes women and children. Yeah. It, it, well, we know it includes women. And if it included women, that means they brought their kids because there was no child care to leave them with, right? <laughs> and so the kids are there. He calls a child to them and he, and he says, you know, if you want to be greatest, you got to be like a child. And, and I've heard this taught and, about, well, what's a child like? Well, they're, they're captivated and easily curious and laugh and, and, you know, all those beautiful things. But that is not, that is not what they would have heard. You have to understand that he just took, this is lower than a slave. A child is lower than a slave in, in terms of worth in Roman in, culture. In, in Roman culture, in, in terms of in, worth, right. In first century Roman culture, they have zero rights. At least there are some rights for a slave. I mean, there's some protections for a slave, but there are zero. I mean, uh, you know, we I talked about this and, and Jay did as well, that there were like almost two, there's almost a two week period when a child is born, when a father has complete say over whether this child lives or dies. And it's, it's commonplace that they die. Mm-hmm. If it's the, if it's the sex, if it's a wrong gender, right. They discard it. If it has any defect or didn't come out with blue eyes, I mean, they don't need to justify the reason at all. All they need to say is there's actually a ritual mm-hmm. where they would lay the child on the floor before the father. If the father does not pick up the child and he walks away, then the child is discarded. In fact, one of the primary ministries of the early Christian church was to the uh, saving of the lives of these children that were discarded. Right. From my understanding, they just go up in the hills and lay the child out uh, for go exposure. Out, go, to the, go to the garbage pile yeah. and lay them on the garbage and pile. And so Christians would hear the cries of these uh, abandoned children and then... Um, they would respond. The, kind of the first so orphanage. My, my yeah. point is, is that we, we when we hear, be like a child, we think that... You it's know, cute oh, it's, and sweet and get your crayons and your paste. Yeah, right. But th- that's not what they would have heard. Yeah. They would have heard... What he says other times, uh, basically, you have to lay aside, um, this life of following Christ is a death to self. Yeah. And um, it's more than that. So there's joy and, and meaning and purpose and all those kinds of things. But it, it is this, he who is the greatest really is the least. Right. And um, they, it would have been a difficult thing for them to hear. So he says, unless you change, so I think that's the first interesting phrase, become like children, and whoever takes this lowly position. Yeah. So it seems like there are two aspects there. The first is the view of oneself, um, which is um, your own self-estimate shows kind of how you relate to those in lowly position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's the first part. So let's talk about that. There's a humility that's not just um, nice to have, it's kind of demanded. So, so, yeah. so he's trying to get the disciples to see themselves in a certain way. And it's kind of, it's not, it's, it's, it's demanded. You know, I don't know if I would say it that way, but it's clearly modeled. Okay. You know, I mean, think about the, the great hymn of the first century church is Philippians chapter two, that who being in very nature, God being God, laid aside all of that glory, all of the all of the things that he had experienced for eternity past. To become a servant. To become a, a servant, slave, yeah. And then to subject himself to um to the cruelty of 
you know, Roman guards and, yeah. and the pettiness, the pettiness of all of the religious leaders of the day. And then the, 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 the bickering amongst his own best friends yeah. about who's great. And I mean, when you think about what he, what he modeled for us, you know, Mark 10, 45, even, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I, 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 you know, I, I think that this passage is just this, this giant marker that, guys, you don't get it yet, but you're going to get it. And the kingdom, and we don't get it. Yeah. And as Americans, we don't get it. Um, right. There are some places where humility is actually flows out of people quite nicely. I mean, and I think about my time in Uganda. Ugandan people are very happy. I love Uganda. And, it, and one of the reasons is because they're actually way more humble than most of the people I've, and me. Yeah. And more know. communal as a society. Yeah. 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 So what, okay, so let's get into that because the, I was thinking about the honor and shame uh, you know, the disciples lived in the society that valued honor, um, the social approval of your group or others. It yeah. was like the highest good. And it was bestowed to individuals sometimes because of their position. Sure. You're a king or you're a, a priest or you're a, a father, like you said. Um, but others had to like acquire it by like working really hard and becoming famous or wealthy, that kind of thing. And that doesn't seem too different than the Bay Area. Uh, there's no, a lot. There's there's a lot of things going on that that are honor culture. Uh, your zip code, what kind of car you drive, what kind of position you have, um, stock options. Mostly in the Bay, it's around wealth and um, how the company and how it's doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, what does this verse mean for ambition in the Bay Area for people? Because you've seen that there's a lot of ambitious people in the Bay Area, men and women who are really gifted, really skilled. And there's kind of a, if you look at it, the Silicon Valley kind of has um, uh, this idea of the great person, or yeah. they call it the great man, but it, it mean man or woman, the great man, that the, there's this idea that the great people kind of arise and they lead great companies and they make tons of money and they're important, you know, yeah. that that's kind of the myth, the mythos, you know, of the, of yeah, the but day. I think you can do all of those things. You can lead great companies and, and actually accumulate great wealth and still be humble. That is a possibility. So what does that mean for ambition? What does this mean for the Bay Area, for people who are listening, who are followers of Jesus, who I even, th I even think you can pursue and be very ambitious and still be humble. It, humble is, it, to me, it's a sense of, you know, Romans 12, 3, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with a sound judgment in, a quarter with the, in accordance with the measure of faith or grace that God has given you. So, I think you can you can be you can have titles and sit in the C-suite, and uh, at a very successful level, and still not and still think correctly of yourself. You do, th those titles, that level of wealth doesn't make you better than other people. Mm -hmm. And when you begin to think that because you drive a certain car or live in a certain zip code or make a certain amount of money that that makes you better than others, and you look down on them, that is what that is anathema. To, to Jesus's teaching. Yeah. You know, that would, that would be contrary in every way. Which goes into the second part of Jesus's definition. He says, you have to have this, um, you have to become like children. And then he says, um, you got to welcome 
these, there's a second aspect of this command. You got to welcome those of lowly position as well. Yeah, he changes. He actually changes terms and he begins to talk about little ones or lowly ones, lowly yeah, ones yeah. instead of child and children. Child. Yeah. And I he's making a there, he's making a tie or something. It, and because he says these little ones that believe in me. I think he actually switches the emphasis back towards the disciples. Mm-hmm. And as they've been bickering about trying to one-up each other, he's saying, Don't, that's, that's exactly wrong. Be like this child in that you take a humble position, and then all the warnings of gouging your eye out or cutting your arm off or yeah, your yeah. hand off, those are ones who, that if you move against the kingdom of God and cause these folks here to stumble, I think he actually changes his attention somehow. Sure. And um, it's quite amazing there. So um, I think that to, to, to equate wealth with pride, I think, would be wrong. Um, although Jesus, even Jesus teach, taught that it, it, was, it usually goes hand in hand. It can, right, right. It, it can. can corrupt. Wealth, th- wealth can corrupt that way. But I think way, it's yeah. not. It is to adopt a position where you place others above yourself and you place others in a situation where you're considering them more important than yourself. Right. And you can do that with a lot of money or very little. So even it's more if, difficult with right. a lot of money. Well, even if you have a lot of power or a lot of money, th- there's going to be a temptation to think, you know, I mean, think about, I, I thought about uh, Taylor Swift and her concert. Mm-hmm. I imagine on that tour. That's something I've never done. Well, I, I just, she was on tour for months and months and months. I She must have had people at every aspect of her life. I wonder what she did alone. Like, did she sleep? Probably sleep and then maybe go to the bathroom. Maybe (laughs) it's like food, exercise, outfits, clothing, hair, makeup. I mean, driving every second of every day, there is a, a cavalcade of human beings tending to her every need that does something to it. It's got to do something to a person. It makes it very difficult to think of yourselves lowly or even accurately. Right. Exactly. So I don't know whether she does. I I don't know either. But my point is that, that in the middle of that, there's this, that I guess the invitation of Jesus would be, Hey, just have you're saying have the proper perspective of yourself well, okay. and others taylor swift is an extreme but think about this imagine imagine a world where you're 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 in a protective shelter you never have to worry about having a place to stay and inside of that protective shelter you have everything you need for the coming week and then you have the ability to be able to exercise your gifts in ways and your intellect in such a way to earn incomes that puts you in a situation where you're richer than 95% of the world. Mm-hmm. That is who was ever listening now. Yeah. That's who we are. And so in that instance, where's God in the equation? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's very easy for Taylor Swift to think she's something set apart. Yeah, yeah. It's also very easy for us to think we don't need God. Yeah. We don't need him. And, the truth is, our next breath is a gift from him. Is there an an element with when he says the lowly ones? Is there an element? It seems like it. What, another thing that leaks out is not just humility, but dependence, which yes, is a form. Yes. Which is a form Absolutely. of humility, I suppose. Which is a, an accurate. If if I just said my next breath is a gift from God, that's an that's a lowly position. I recognize, it's, but it's an accurate one. You're saying it's it's, 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 it's like you said accurate. Romans, like seeing yourself clearly. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to go back to something we talked about earlier, and that is the tie between Matthew and Mark, uh, Mark 9, because Mark 
tells the story differently. Um, he includes some details that Matthew's not really interested in that just hardly anything from Mark actually survives Matthew's editing. Right. And I wanted to read Mark cause I think it can illuminate some, there's some okay. elements of it. I thought that were interesting. So, um, in Matthew, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Mark gives some different details. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Fascinating. So mm -hmm. he's in an intensive teaching training here. He he's said in to, prep mode for Jerusalem. Right, right, right. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So he's prepping them for this death of the Messiah. But they did not understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him about it because <laughs> I, I think this is just up, upside down. Then they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, they asked him, um, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So they're back there and they were quiet because on the way, I love that. They were quiet because on, they know they're, they're, they're busted. They were quiet because on the way they had argued about who was greatest. Like I think among them sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, look, anyone who wants to be first must be last and must be the servant of all. And then he took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. I don't know if that means like he's holding like an infant or if he's like, I'm unsure about the phrasing, but he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And then later on in the very next chapter, which you kind of alluded to, James and John come to him. This is the very next chapter. Yeah, I know. And they come to him and they say, hey, can we have the seats on the left and the right? And he does another instruction um, about, about, he's like, look, first of all, I can't give those seats. And second, and he says, um, um, you have seen, you know, you, you have, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and with their high, uh, officials exercise authority. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great must be the servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Yeah. And then he, d he does this thing, which you alluded to in Philippians for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for yeah. many. So yeah. there, I, it feels like Mark is Mark, Mark is actually tying this, I think, pretty explicitly. Matthew's doing it too, but in his own way. Right. But maybe that's, um, but that was really helpful for me because the idea of a little child or being like a little child might be opaque, but it's the same message, which is. And that's why when you take this passage and you think you, you do all the cute stuff about children, you really missed it. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see because what you're saying. the context screams to you, I'm trying to tell you I'm going to die and you're going to die. And it's and to be in order for this thing to really the message to propagate itself, it's going to be a message of humility. Right. And you're not going to be like a ruler. If you think there's prestige and power coming your way with the Romans because of hanging out with me, you have got it all wrong and and they they must have kind of thought that i mean they had to right peter, peter and these guys listen when when peter said we think you're the christ right that's a the anointed the anointed a king. name that's a title yeah. that's that's an elevated position of of a king who would come from heaven and slay all of israel's enemies and make the world right and set things right and set things in order and they're thinking 
Well, I'm with this later, guy. Later on, they're arguing about where they're going to sit. This is going to be great. <laughs> yeah. And instead, what's going to actually happen is actually the you're going to be the church will grow in the blood spilled in the soil of the martyrs. You're going to die for this cause. Eleven of the twelve just die. They get killed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they all die. Well, I, what, what one, would John? Only violent, only John escapes 11, violent death at the hands of this. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was helpful about this on the way over, I was I was thinking about this. Um, I'm I'm in my twenties. I'm trying to figure out like life. And there was a sermon. It was it happened to be Black History Month, so I listened to all of Martin Luther King's recorded sermons. And there was this one. It's called the Drum Major Instinct. It was given about two months before he he's killed. Hmm. So it's in 1968. And um, he's talking about the drum major instinct. And he says, there is something inside each human. I'll play a little clip sometime. If I find it, I'll try to give it. He said, there's something inside every human that wants to be great. They want to be the drum major at the front of the parade, right? And get all the attention. And he said, this can be really destructive and cause people to do all sorts of icky things with money or wealth. Or he even, you know, even gets into the race dynamic. You know, we're better because we're white or whatever it might be, or we're better because we're American, that kind of thing. And he's like, but there's actually, when Jesus actually in Mark 10 later on, when he addresses James and John and Peter and the disciples, he's like, hey, look, it's not that that's bad. You just got to use it in the right way. He reordered priorities. And he said, yes, don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. Yes. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. He transformed the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. This morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. Because everybody can serve. And so, and then he says at the end, he's, because he, and I think he's reflecting, he's like, if I'm, in my funeral, I wanted to be said, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace, a drum major for righteousness. All the other shallow things, they don't matter. He's like, don't talk about my Nobel Prize. That's not going to matter. Say that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I think that's what he's trying to get at. He's trying to say, and he's, uh, Mark 9, Jesus, all these things. He's saying, look, if you're going to be great, there's a new definition of greatness. Jesus redefines greatness in 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 uh, in this moment. All upside down. So... Now, let's get practical. If that's the new definition... What's... Now, well, before we get practical about that, okay, he doesn't stop there. And that's the, one of the beautiful things is that... Because you, you got to be sitting there listening to this. And if you get it, which they don't, but if you get it, you're like, oh my gosh, how, do, how, do, how in the world could I do this? Well, he says, well, there's a resource in heaven you may not be unaware of. And uh, there's an angel watching out for you. There are angels that accompany your activity and actually help. And as you goof up along the way, the Father will always pursue you and try to bring you back. I mean, what, now that's got, I just got goosebumps thinking about God's commitment to me 
um, to give me the resources of heaven to live the life he's now calling me to, which is a life of service, which is way hard. And then he's saying, and you're going to make mistakes and don't worry. I, I'll come get, I'll, I'll help you get back. I will pursue you and bring you back into the fold. And he's actually happy about that whole process. Yeah. It brings him joy. Well, we're going to see that later with Peter, isn't he? He's going to goof up pretty bad. And Jesus is like himself going to bring him back in. Yeah. Say, hey, you're going to get, if you, do you love me? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I, I, see I, I, this call to lowliness is so countercultural to us that if we're honest, we're like, no, okay, thanks. I'm <laughs> going to try that, but probably not going to do yeah. very good at it. And you're right. You're not, you're not, you're going to suck at it. Mm-hmm. Um, some will do better than others, but most of us will suck. And um, because that is the hard wire of, of pride and sin in our life and in our flesh. But God, but God is actually in the teachings there. It's, uh, but, don't, but, but fear not. You, the, the resources of heaven are there for your, at your disposal. And I will never leave you. I will always come and get you. Even though you leave me, I'll go get you. Yeah. I'll leave the 99. That's really And I will really go get you. And man, that is just so encouraging to yeah. me. Because I find myself, um, as I get older, I pursue humility better. I mean, the, the process of aging helps me understand that outwardly I'm wasting away, right? And so in that, but, but I still get it so wrong just so wrong all the time. Even, I mean, I'm, I get so goofed up that I'm even proud of my humility. <laughs> right? Oh, I was really good there. I served them there. No, you didn't. You were just trying to impress people. I mean, the motives behind some things, and, and even when I get it so wrong, the Father is still pursuing me and, and promising to, to, um, to leave the 99 and go and get me and also to give the resources of heaven to help me out. Yeah, it's super encouraging. We, um, I wanted to ask you also about just as we close, um, just practical stuff, because there's a lot of folks listening who are in various positions. Sometimes they're high ranking, sometimes they're not. But like, what does it look like? How have you, you've talked to and, and taught dozens and dozens of people. We've been doing this for years and years. You've seen examples of people who tried to do this really well and, and are successful. They have a, what, what are some characteristics of people who do this well um, who make this turn, who kind of, because it is, it feels a little bit like laying your life down in front of Jesus. It feels a lot like that. So what are some characteristics of, of what it looks like to do this well? What's like, what are some characteristics of, of what it looks like, um, what it doesn't look like, um, what to do, what not to do, um, not prescriptive necessarily, but general things that you've seen? Yeah. I, I got two really good friends. Um, one is named Tom and one is named John. And um, I think of them when I, when I see humility done, done well. Tom, Tom uh, pursues you and seeks out. And when I talk to him, he's always talking about who he's met, not what he's done. He talks to me about what he's shared, not how well it went. Like there's a lot of people who would talk to me about their message, and when I talk to preachers, but the, then what they don't do is they don't tell me about the people they spoke with. They tell me about the message they delivered. Tom's not that way. And in some way, I think that there's, that, and I don't, and I think underneath, he, he probably cares less um, 
less about what people think of him mm-hmm. than most people I know. And I think there's something there in terms of getting it right. So, John, so what I hear, what I hear you saying is like he's really focused on being present and interested in the others, people around him. Others, yeah. So he's thinking, who has God brought into my life, and how might I help or encourage or whatever it might mean? Yeah. And John, so, my good friend John, okay. On the other hand, when he's with me, he bombards me with questions about me. So he's interested in you. He's in, he, he, you know. Yeah. It's not an opportunity for, and I don't do this well. Typically, when you're talking to me, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, and I stop listening to you. But you can tell that John listens to me. Hmm. And so being a good listener is a form of good humility. Listener and, and, and his conversation is directed towards the other. Yeah. Now, certainly he has conversations where it, he talks about himself, and he's vulnerable in those ways, but he's, he constantly, I mean, it's a bombarding of these questions there's no bs with john i mean you have he he just will cut through all of the bull and say let's get to it a little bit how's your heart really doing and and what did you feel there and and how are you thinking and 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 i think there's a couple of there's a couple of guys in my life that constantly challenge me um in terms of what it means to be humble Um, their focus is off of themselves and on others and Truth is, I don't do that very good. Hmm. I mean, even in conversations where, even when I preach, there are times, and you've experienced this too, where where I'm not thinking about the people who are listening. I'm thinking about how well I'm delivering it, and how this is going to be heard, and who's going to like me, and how what's and and it's just it's yeah, it's just crap. It's just it's anything but what Jesus is trying to teach us yeah. in, in Matthew. Are there warning bells or warning signs that you've seen crop up that are like warnings of the anti this? So when I see this in myself, this is a warning sign. I'm not doing what Jesus is inviting me um, into. Yeah. There's an irritability and a a very quick um, dissatisfaction with how things are playing out when I don't get my way. Ah, okay. Okay. That's good. And so, and when you mean irritability, you mean irritability with people? Yeah. And in, in the grind in myself, I mean, there's this, this tension in myself where I'm like, oh, and I'm short with people. My words are not kind. Um, I'm, I, I label people. I, you know, I do all kinds of, so labeling and dismissing people, almost having all those kinds of things. Okay. And it shows up, you know, it leaks out of you is what you're saying. It leaks out of me when I don't get my way. The other thing is, is that when you're involved in service and then someone treats you like a servant and you get pissed about it, <laughs> you realize you're not there to serve. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is especially hard with children. When <laughs> I, I, For sure. When I was a little bit, uh, a little while ago, I, I was like. I realized I was running a diner. I was like a short order cook. I was just like, you know, and I'm just like, hey, well, I don't run a diner here, you know? And my daughter's ordering for the dog. She's like, he'd like two eggs over easy. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? This is nuts. I'm not, I'm, like, I'm a cook for the dog. I'm a short order. Yeah. So when you're treated like a servant. Yeah. At some point you, you get, you get asked to do things that you think are below you. Yeah. Right. And, um, well, I love what you said. You said self-preoccupation. I, I there's well it's really hard because i'm pre- preoccupied with myself quite a bit and so getting off that is good um any tip i mean it it's not in here any tips or tricks on getting off yourself is it just I, I, worship time with jesus i mean how do you 
do you get into a lowly state? It seems like this is something we have to commit to every day. It, it, so, die to yourself so daily. I, don't, I, don't, I think is actually, I think that the times when we do this best is when we're least aware of it. Oh, okay. And as soon as I'm starting to evaluate it in my mind, my motives become corrupted and it's no longer selfless. And so it, so what do you do? Well, you constantly hang around guys like Tom yeah, and John. Yeah, yeah, so. You, you, you become a student of the life of Christ. Because he models this over and over and over and over. You can, you can, the, you know. It does seem like humility is one of the primary characteristics of Jesus. That it, it's just one of the biggest ones. Because oh, it's, it's, absolutely. it's all over. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you, you know, you surround yourself with those kinds of things. And then you just, you do, whenever, whenever you can, try to place another person's perspective and, and desires above yourself. Not in a way that's unhealthy or that's codependent, but in a way that just actually, you know, how can I serve? How can yeah. I help you? Yeah. And, um, and you'll find you'll be fine. You'll find that there's all kinds of opportunities to do that if yeah. you if you'll just ask that question, how can I help? Yeah. You know, you'll find ways that you can. All right. Well, tough words indeed from Jesus. This Very is a tough. challenging. That's why. That's why the yeah. the the guardian angel little thing passage there, which I know is we don't really know what that means, but it. But it means at least that there's some resources of heaven for you to do this. Right. And whenever you get it wrong, the father's not pissed off. He's, yeah. he's pursuing you and trying to bring you back. Yeah, that's really, that's really helpful. Well, thanks for this, uh, this, defini- this redefinition of greatness. Lots to chew on. And uh, not just chew on, but like live out. So this, too, is, yeah. um, this is tough. So this is tough stuff. But it's, I think it's, well, it's the way of life, right? That's the way it says. is the way of life. All right. Well, thanks, Steve, for being with us. Thanks, man. And we'll talk to you soon. See ya. All right. Bye. Just want to say thanks to Steve Clifford for stopping by. Join us next week when Jay Kim will be in the studio. We'll be talking about the weighty and important issue of forgiveness that Jesus raises in the next part of Matthew. So join us for that, and we'll see you next week.